What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Textual Talk. Well, I'm your host, HD Man. I believe it's like number episode 30 something. I don't know. It's going to be the right thing with that description, man. Don't hold me to it. It's really hard to remember this thing. I see what Joe Budden be going through. But if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel, hit the thumbs up button, share for the YouTube algorithm. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you know what to do. And also, if you're watching this on Buy Me a Coffee, I appreciate you. I shout out to you, man, because you are really supporting the channel and you're doing it, you know, with your pockets. Um, so I appreciate that, everybody. I really rock with y'all for helping me out. But check this out. We got a special guest with us today. Her name is Keandra, and she's in tech sales. And tech sales has been one of those careers that I kind of want to bring on the show because everybody's so obsessed with trying to be super technical and learning a program and all this other stuff to try to make a lot of money in tech. And sometimes your skill set may be to do something a little, I mean, there are technical aspects of tech sales, but also non-technical aspects where, you know, you get to use more of your soft skills to get paid a lot of money, man. So uh, without further ado, let's get ready to bring her in. What's going on, Miss Keandra? Did I say that right? Keandra. Keandra. Okay, we got that. Let's give her a round of applause, everybody. I said it wrong, and then I said Keandra. I meant to ask you that uh, beforehand. You know, no love lost. People call me Henry all the time. Is but it um, no, nah, it's Henri. Henri. Nice. Yeah. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, guys, here's our guest right here. Um, and I'm going to let her tell us a little bit of her background as far as this brief, kind of like you was in a small like interview, kind of like when they say, oh, tell me about yourself. So that's kind of what this segment of the podcast is normally about. But, okay. So um, my name's Keandra. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I went to school for accounting and finance um, and quickly started with a big four. <laughs> so I started off at Deloitte. I was doing tax for private equity and high net worth individuals. Um, and I just hated it. It was a lot of hours. I just didn't like it. I'm more of a talker. Um, and accounting is not really conducive to talkers, right? Um, and so I tried out other places with different cultures. I tried consumer product goods, tried my hand at PepsiCo. Um, and then I went into logistics, just trying to find my niche for that accounting finance sweet spot. Um, I made my way up to senior financial analyst and just realized it still wasn't for me. Um, and so when I finally moved into FinTech, um, I just shot my shot for a sales role, right? They were opening up a new division. And I said, let's see if I can get an entry-level role, right? Because I found out that salespeople in entry-level roles were making more than I was making as a senior financial analyst. Um, <laughs> and so they, they they said, yeah, let's why not? Let's, it was an internal transfer. They took a shot on me. And then... Um, I wanted to make more money. So I reached out to Fang. And so now I'm in enterprise sales um, at a Fang company. That's nice. Uh, I had started like this whole episode. I was talking about like how people think that, you know, knowing how to program and all the other stuff is the only way to get money in this tech industry. And I'm like, you know, that's far from it. as many ways to skin a cat as that old saying goes. And, you know, that's interesting. So you pretty much have an accounting background, you know, up there. Are you still in the East Coast right now? Yep, I'm in Pennsylvania, moving to the okay. DMV. 
Uh, shortly. Hang on a second, because somebody is streaming the wrong to the wrong TV, and I just turned my TV off. All right, sorry about that. Talk real quick. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, uh, so what I was saying is, okay, cool. So you still up there on the East Coast? Surprising, you have migrated. Uh, I work in fintech right now, actually. It's pretty interesting for the most part. Uh, but what I'll say is you had a background in accounting. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let me ask two fold questions. One, how did you leverage that background in accounting to go to tech sales? And two, how was it for you doing this process of gaining that entry level role kind of how was that like because you know there's a lot of people that want to transition sometimes they get stuck or you know also the funny thing is a lot of times people come out to me for consultations or whatever and they was like yeah i want to do this and that and i was like well how you look like internally like you seen your company actually need some help or reached out to somebody in that field mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i'm like that's one of the easiest ways to kind of get there without like the hard work like if you make a build a rapport with some people they might say oh this this person's a hard worker. Let's let's let them try out. I know them. They can do the job. Opposed to you know you striking out every time the home plate trying to switch fields because because your skill set hasn't really gotten up there yet. And that's where that networking piece comes in. So um, really, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I guess to your first question, how I leveraged accounting, I would say that. In accounting, at least in my role, um, and then once I moved to finance, one of the things that you're responsible for as a senior analyst is managing entry-level financial analysts, right? So you're answering their questions, you're reviewing their work, you're making sure that they're doing what needs to be done. Um, And then you have a lot of different deliverables, right? You want to make sure the financials are intact. You want to make sure that you're attending internal meetings. Um, And that's a big part of, um, communication is a big part of, um, of sales, right? If you're not a good communicator, you probably won't do also well um, at sales. And that doesn't mean you have to be a talker. It just has to mean that you're an effective communicator. Um, and so I leverage less of that accounting and finance and more of my senior experience, right? Um, and then the other thing I think is that, you know, with accounting, particularly tax, which is what I what I started out in, you will never know all of the tax code. It's literally impossible to know all of the tax code because it's ever changing, right? Crypto wasn't a thing when I, um, at least not a thing that they were considering much for taxes when I graduated school. Now it's a huge thing, right? And so that's that's a huge lesson now for those people who are handling taxes on how to navigate that. Um, And very similarly with tech, things are consistently evolving and changing, right? And so trying to express or relay my hunger for knowledge, right? Um, my ability to adapt to change. Um, and so just those experiences that I have, I think I really spoke to those in my interview. Now, the process, the process was rough now. <laughs> when I was in FinTech, it wasn't as hard um, because I had that financial acumen, right? And so I could speak to those products um, and I could speak to my customers, especially since I was targeting into people who were CFOs and who had more of that financial knowledge and desire to learn about financial products. Now that I'm in Fang selling the cloud, that has nothing to do with finance. No one actually cares at all what I know about numbers. Um, and, you know, I always say, I want to go back to And um, I lied because when I was studying for, I'm still studying for the solutions architect right now. Um, but 
it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and so my company, fortunately, is really supportive. We have, I had like an onboarding buddy. Um, I have a huge network. We have like a Slack channel for certification prep. Um, but it is a drink, like drinking from the fire hose, right? Trying to get that technical acumen. But I think, um, you know, if you marry what you're already good at, then you can focus on improving one or two areas, you know, gradually. Yeah, you said a lot, <laughs> especially uh, you said that the drinking from the water hose. Uh, it definitely feels like that. And I, I think that's funny. It's one of the things that uh, I think I'm I don't know if Dayspring made a video on it or me, but or I haven't even did it yet. It's like a lot of people do want to get into tech, but they don't realize like what you do to get in there can't be the thing you do to stay because it's not like other jobs. Like you got to keep on learning. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I tell people when they try to get in, I say, make sure there's something, you know, you want to do. And of course I want everybody to get money. I'm not mad whoever you want to get your money, but I was like, that's just one aspect of it. Yeah. You possibly can get that first job, maybe hold on to it for a year, jump around a while. But then, you know, how do you have longevity in your career? If you know, you're not really honing any other skills. I was like, you're going to probably find yourself, you know, maybe either stuck or not with a job. So it's always important. I'm glad that you were talking about, you know, the solution architect, because I actually just did a resume review for a guy who's uh, I think right now he's a project manager. Uh, then I think he also is doing some sock work or whatever, but he has a solution architect. I, I Like the combination of what he had, he had a either a project management or, or a scrum cert and solutions architect, or something, which I had never seen that combo before. So I actually asked him, I was like, you know, you know, what do you plan mm-hmm. to do? You know, solutions architect. Cause I'm like, solutions architect, not really one of them searches is just take, you know, is, 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 it's a yeah. beast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like to see like a little pre, oh, okay, cool. You got a little fundamental knowledge right here. Then you went to the solution architect, but like just to see it there and, you know, me looking at your roles with nothing cloud related, you know, it is kind of off guard, like, you know, to catch that on there. So, uh, I didn't really delve mm-hmm. much into that. Uh, I'll let him explain more to me about that if he decides to actually get coached. But um, that's cool. So how long ago was that when you did that first entry level, when you first did the entry level sales to now? What's been that time frame? Yep. Yep. So it's only been a year. It's only been a little over a year. Um, I did that and I was like, I'm going to do so. An entry level role for tech sales is typically a BDR or SDR. That's a business development rep or sales development rep. And the sweet spot there is like 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, And then you get promoted to account executive or inside sales. But I knew I didn't want to do that, even though I had increased my salary. I just felt like I had the experience. I'm so used to being a senior. I didn't really want to be in an entry level role, more of an ego thing than it was really right. a real thing. Right. Um, and so I just busted out my quota. Right. So I was doing 200, 300, 400. I've even done 500 percent of my quota on a monthly basis. Um, and so whatever they told me to do, I was doubling it, tripling it, quadrupling it whenever I could. Um, and I did that consistently. Um <laughs> Listen, all true, y'all. <laughs> um, and so um, I did that and I, I leveraged that to get into Fang, right? Because those are really the things that people care about. Um, when you see these job requisitions and they tell you you need to have X amount of experience, I really didn't think candidly that I would get into Fang. But I also provided those metrics on my resume saying, look, this is what I'm doing as a BDR. So it's clear that I'm an autopilot in this role and I can get promoted to something 
to something much larger. Um, and it worked in my favor. That's nice. But the good thing is you did what I tell a lot of people to do when I am reviewing resumes while I'm coaching them. Or people that just saying, hey, they want to get six figures. You showed your value. That's the biggest thing right there is mm-hmm. everybody want to get paid and, oh, they want to do this and that. But I was like, the company got to value your skill set in order to pay you. So if your skill set don't want the money, they're not yeah. going to pay you regardless of how long you've been doing whatever you've been doing. And once I get mm-hmm. that through to them, I think they start understanding. So I'm a big advocate of like, hey, you know, if you got a lot of experience, like I tell people like if some people like me, like I have like career highlights. And then I also have different accomplishments I did within each role because I'm showing you, boom, what I came in and did. That's kind of the way I tell everybody to do it. It's like, show them what you did and what you accomplished. Like, you may not have the most experience, but if you didn't brought this immense value to your organization, they'll see value in you because you're going to tend to do the same thing, if not more, to them. So I like that you said that. And um, we'll go into this as well because, well, two things. Also, for somebody like you, it really didn't make sense for you to be staying entry level because you already had transferable skill sets to be past entry level. And mm-hmm. that's one of those things, too, where some mm-hmm. people think that they have to to do entry level when if they do is maybe for a little while, but not for long. It's more so just get some experience of doing whatever you've been doing. And then you could jump around and, and really get paid. Cause so you can say, yes, I exceeded in this role for a year and I met every mark. Some people don't necessarily have that and they're just trying to jump up to senior and they don't have the transferable skills or the experience to do it. <laughs> and that's where they kind of are going wrong. They trying to, you know, get Moby Dick. But I'm like, hey, man, you know, just go to the little fish pond first. Get you a little fish. Then you, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And with sales. No, you go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say with sales. No, I wasn't offered a six-figure salary for my first role in sales. But Thankfully for sales, you eat what you kill, right? And so my goal was, as particularly with sales, I'm going to make that six anyway. So with your commission, depending on your company, it may be uncapped. My previous company, it was uncapped. And so I said, I'm going to make that six. I'm That's in my mind, I'm going to do it and that's what I'm going to do. And I was able to do that, right? And so um, I think a lot of times we get caught up in the, I want to get here. I want to make this amount out the gate, Right. Um, and that's great. I want everybody to make six figures, right? I'm a big advocate for six figures. It's a good feeling. But also, um, to your point of providing value, right? I'm not sure how it works for more cold coding jobs, but with sales, you can take, if you really believe in what you're able to accomplish, as long as you don't feel like you're being underpaid, right? Undercompensated, take that role that may not give you that six and beat your quota out and you'll be and you'll be there right you'll be at that six figures and then your next offer you'll be able to leverage that for much more i was able to double my salary after six more than double my salary after six months and i was able to do that by just that six months of sac right that six seven months of sacrifice and grinding um and when you do that right it reflects well on you because I was working with small and medium businesses. That's who I was aligned to. So the deals are a lot smaller. Now I'm an enterprise sales. So my customers have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in, in capital. And they're signing these huge million dollar, multi-million dollar deals. So my commission is is a lot, a lot more, right? Um, and you get that because I did that. I showed, you know what? Hey, I'm willing to take this role. I'm willing to get my, you know, my hands dirty, learning about it. I'm willing to exceed expectations 
And then I'm going to leverage that to get to the next thing. Um, and I just I just want people to know that because I think, especially with Twitter, everybody's making six figures on Twitter. Let you let them tell it. Right. Um, but in the real world, <laughs> back in reality, <laughs> back in reality, that's not the case for everyone. And so don't be afraid to take that role. Like I said, so long as they're not undercompensating you. Right. Um, particularly in sales where you have the opportunity to make so much more than what they're offering you. On That's the facts. I always tell my clients, like, hey, I'm like, if, as long as what they offer you sometimes, they ain't going to budge, but you still can pay your bills like you're doing now. I was like, just do it for the experience and you'll get your money you know, elsewhere. And um, also what I want to uh, piggyback on is what you were saying, like coding jobs or whatever. That's I don't code either. Uh, it's really all the same, whether you code and whether you're a project manager, you know, security engineering, uh, stuff with databases. It's really all the same thing. Like whatever you're doing, whatever initiatives that you have driving at the company or whatever, if you're able to show that on your resume, that's how you just show the value. Because, I mean, like, you know, even as help desk, like I know my stuff used to say, like I provided like level one support for like 50,000 users or whatever, like because companies do like to see numbers and and what you did, you know, or you say, Hey, I closed out, you know, I worked a hundred, you know, high profile incidents and I solved like everyone or some crap like that. Anything you really can think of that you can quantify what you did always helps uh, because metrics are it really in every industry, like even for us, metrics used to be huge because I had metrics for QA then we had metrics for, how many alerts came in and how many alerts each analyst worked, the time it took them to work it, uh, how many they worked per hour, um, you name it. Uh, they had audits of just for upper management to see. So that's why that's my little tidbit of when it comes to kind of proving your value, uh, try to quantify it. But what I also say, what well, acts now is as far as sales. So what's the typical, not necessarily like specifics on how much uh, you get paid. Uh, I mean, whether you want to share that or not, you know, but more so what's the typical pay structure? Like is most, is it mostly the same? I know you kind of said it a little bit far as like the commission part, but I guess do most sales at least offer like uh, a base, uh, like a base salary? Yep. Yep. So I say it varies by company. I will say in tech, you will typically see a base plus a commission, and that's what makes your OTE. So you'll hear that term OTE often, and OTE stands for your on-target earnings. Um, So the way they'll set your package up is a certain portion of your income, call it 70%, for example, will be your base, and then 30% will be your, your commission that you're supposed to receive pending that you meet your quota monthly or quarterly or biweekly, however their quota is set up, right? Um, And so with that, let's use even numbers, 70,000 and 30,000, that would be your split to make your OTE of 100,000. You get a $70,000 base, 30,000 of that would be commission based on if you meet all, you know, your metrics and your OTE will be 100,000. Then depending on whether or not your quota is, um, you're able to it's uncapped, your commission is uncapped, or they have a cap, you can make more than that. So if, you know, your cap is like 1.25% or something like that, then you know you're only going to be able to make a quarter more than, you know, what they what they offered you. Um, and if it's uncapped, you know, it's uncapped. Um, two great resources are RepView, R-A-P-V-U-E.com. 
Another one is CompGauge, C-O-M-P-G-A-U-G-E dot com. And both of those provide um, visibility into companies and salaries offered to people um, in real time, specifically for tech sales. Um, And the reason why that's so relevant is because when you go on other resources, oftentimes those numbers are way off, (laughs) like way off. Um, For a BDR, SDR, I say it depends on your location, but if you're in the East Coast like me, you're probably looking at about, for a larger company, $75,000, I'd say is a pretty fair um, OTE, which will probably be split like a $50,000 base um, and then $25,000 commission. Um, I think that's pretty general for like from here to maybe like Atlanta or something like that. Um, And that, again, is for larger companies. I've seen smaller companies with on target earnings of, you know, a lot lower, like fifty five to sixty five thousand dollars. And the splits may be different. So some companies have that 70, 30 split. Some have much larger ones. Um, I've seen companies do a 50, 50 split where half of your um, salary is your base and then the other half is your commission. My first role um, was, I think, like ninety thousand was my OTE, a little a little under 90, like eighty seven, eight, eight hundred or something like that. Who knows? Um, and then when you are at larger companies, again, I don't really have experience with smaller companies, so that's why I'm using larger companies. Um, but when you move to an account executive role, most commonly your salary is a 50, 50 split. And for account executive roles at higher, you know, larger companies, those fortune 500, those FANG, um, you'll see salaries in excess OTEs on target earnings in excess of $200,000 a year. So you're looking at a base salary of $100,000 and then your commission should be another $100,000. If you're working at a really large company, it could be up to 240, 250. Also, other factors that impact that is what you're aligned to, right? So if you're doing small and medium businesses, your on-target earnings may be like 198,000 versus if you're doing enterprise, you might get like 230 or 40,000 because your deals are much larger. Um, And then of course, you have the opportunity to, do more. So if you look on those websites, you see there are people who have had like a killer year who have done all seven figures, W-2 employees. You see people who do 700, 600, $500,000 a year because they've had a really, really life-changing big deal, right? Like they've locked in a really huge deal and they were able to make a killer commission off of it. Um, And it's not unheard of. I mean, it's not an every year thing. So I don't want to give nobody no fake story, but um, it's definitely possible that you see people get these really, really crazy deals. So you're thinking of something like Zoom. I mean, I'll have to check that, but I assume the people who were at Zoom right before COVID that did tech sales went crazy, right? Everybody- Their stock went crazy. So I know everything went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine the kind of deals those salespeople were closing. They A lot of them probably did have a killer year, right? Um probably not seeing that now because most people have adapted and, you know, there are, there's competition and the need has slowed as we're moving back into that hybrid model. But, you know, it's definitely possible to have those seven figures or high, high six figure, you know, years. But I, I certainly say in large companies, you're looking anywhere between, you know, 75,000 for a, a business development rep to an account executive where you're seeing, you know, 200 and something thousand or high hundred thousands um, on, on target. Earnings. Man, appreciate that. That was an excellent breakdown. Um, 
Like, so if anybody's really wondering, like, how that structure goes, uh, you got it. I remember when I was back in the office at my old company, sales guys was always in there having fun, you know, playing ping pong. I'm out, I'm out mm-hmm. eating, they, you know, using the company car to pay for my food and stuff. <laughs> because, you know, the thing is, what a lot of people don't know is sales is a lot of the times how we making money and how we getting our bonus. Cause a lot of, our, a lot of our company's bonuses are normally structured on how good they doing revenue. So if we ain't doing good in, in revenue and uh, all these other yeah. performing things then we may not get the bonus that we supposed to look. So shout out to sales. I, that's why, you know, I don't, people don't really give sales enough credit. Cause I'm like without sales, you know, the ship don't really. Yeah. No, nah, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and salespeople get other benefits outside of the salary. So if you're in uh, like a field seller, which is a little bit more of an experienced role, but you have that corporate card and you're able to take out those C-level executives to dinner mm-hmm. and wine and dine them or basketball games. And then you're traveling and do those demos. So you get those flights, you get those car rentals, all these miles, all these points, right? You're attaching it to your, you know, Delta or Amer- uh, American Airlines or whatever your preferred method of travel is, Right. And you can use that for your own. That's another wealth hack, right? You use that for yourself. When you want to go away, you cash out them 200 Facts. points you done accumulated doing those demos. Um, so it's not. Oh, so what you basically tell us, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got the points and you waiting to use them. <laughs> well, I unfortunately started sales when everything was locked down. So I have not been able to travel anywhere, but um, I'm hoping that, you know, we're getting back there. It seems like COVID Jenkins is trying to leave. So hold on, what did you say? COVID what? On a flight somewhere. Why is it, why is it COVID Jenkins? <laughs> I just felt COVID needed a last name. Oh no, Jenkins. We need another last name. I don't know. If Jenkins is something that's always coming around. COVID Leroy or something like that. Everybody know mm-hmm. Leroy. Oh. Uh, mm hmm. Jumba. COVID Leroy is valid. I like COVID Leroy. Everybody. Mm, COVID Jumba. But that's the thing. Jumba that's what I'm saying. I don't see away. COVID ever going away. I, I think, want COVID to be out I of here. I think it's going to be like go. another thing like we got the flu and everything else. Or they might just have it a different way of flu because eventually our bodies will mm-hmm. adapt and fight against it more and more. Just like I don't know the last time I seen a, a kid. I know I had it back in what mama said I sound like Bobby Boucher, but 92, 93, <laughs> uh, that I had um, chicken pox. I haven't seen a kid in years with chicken pox. Yo, that's true. I have not seen ringworms either. I haven't seen those in a while. I've I seen have. ringworms, but they're rare. But they must have happened little kids, daycares, maybe parents who are not taking care of their kids uh-huh. as much. It normally happens like that, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it going away. Every time I take like the girls to the doctor, or I go to the doctor, and we talk about it. We always say we just don't see it going away. Like you know, um, that's why I'm just like they got to stop treating it. Like I don't know. Like that's one of the things. Like eventually, I'm supposed to go into the office, which probably won't be till like August because I got to get the booster to be fully vaxxed. So, people, you really like you're supposed to test yourself like. If you come in three days a week, like twice a week, but you can really just say you ain't got it. I know for a fact a lot of people ain't doing no testing. I don't blame them. Like, fam, if I got to come to work and test myself, what's the point? Just let me stay at home. Nothing I do at work I can't do from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the tweets I made one time. I like yeah. most of like a lot of old people still run these companies. One people be in the office. Man, I'm like, people don't be washing their hands. Yeah. 
<laughs> Even when it won a pandemic, people was getting sick. It's so many. Yes. And another thing is, I think, at least for my job, they just built a brand new headquarters. So I know they expect us to come back in, right? Because they just dropped millions and millions of dollars. But for these companies that are renting and their lease is almost up, don't y'all want to save the money? You know how much money they can save if they don't have to have these, you know, in-person locations or they can downsize. Just make help me to help you and let me be work from home. Right. Exactly. That's why I'm like, shoot, <laughs> a remote offer is always uh, super tempting just because like the like I ain't gonna lie, it's gonna be hard. I haven't been in the office in like two years. So to wake up early to deal with traffic mm-hmm. and stuff, Same. you know, I don't know. I may, I may like it because sometimes back in the day, that was my little time to like listen to a new album or a podcast or something. You know, it it, it really depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to to get back off of that, the next thing I was going to ask uh, after that, you know, great breakdown you did when it came to getting paid uh, in tech sales. Who, I guess it would be twofold. One, what would be like ideal people to get into tech sales? Because uh, I have a friend, I mentioned it to her before, and I actually got, I'm going to follow up with her. After we're done with this, I'm actually going to follow up with her again because she's been like doing like that type of sales work, like inside like the AT&T store and all that kind of stuff, like for years. And I hit her up one time and said, hey, uh-huh. you ever been looked into doing tech sales and uh i can't remember if she gave it any more like thought when i asked her about it but i'm like she's like bring it to her you know again just because i think it's way more beneficial than you know having to convince people in the store to do all the stuff that they really don't need but you're trying to convince them mm-hmm. that they need it <laughs> whereas most of the time when it comes to business stuff most of the time it's stuff they company actually need uh, but the yeah. thing would be like, who would be like an ideal person to be in tech sales? And then number two would be, what do you need to learn to do tech sales? Or is it a fairly low barrier to entry, entry role? So those are like my two questions. Yeah. So I'd say the ideal person has like a business mind. So if you're in college right now and you're you're getting a business degree like myself in accounting, that's that's under that business umbrella. Right. Finance, marketing, um, just anything that has BBA in it <laughs> is probably um, ideal for sales. For people who have not um, gone to uh, to college, um, because you don't need a degree to work in sales, which is one of the great, one of the best things about sales, right? Because it's a lucrative career choice for people who do not have that four year degree. Um, I'd suggest if you have some t- sort of customer service experience. So if you work in retail, you've got customer service experience. And remember, tech sales, and I hate to go off on a tangent, but it's not just sales like how I'm doing where. Um, so there's BDRs who are setting the meetings for the account executives. The account executives are the people who are closing the deals, right? Um, so the BDRs invite the businesses to the party, right? Then you have account managers who keep people at the party. So account managers are assigned accounts and they make sure that these people are staying with the business, that we're retaining their business, and that if there is an opportunity for growth, they they work with us, right? Then you have um, customer success managers, who also do something similar, right? Those customer success managers don't actually carry a quota, but they're really the the, the customer's advocate, right? They're going to make sure that whatever product we have is working as designed for them and that they're happy about it. Then you got sales enablement. Then you got sales uh, operations. And so, you know, for someone who has a customer service background, like if you work at, you know, Optimum or any sort of 
uh, service where you work in retention, right? When people are calling like, oh, I hate this service, I'm never going to use it again. That's customer success, right? That's directly transferable to a customer success manager role um, if you're not interested in carrying the quota, right? But, you, but you're but you good at problem solving. Um, if you work like your friend at AT&T or any, any retail sector, then you're probably going to want a quota carrying role, right? Um, and if, you know, you've been a manager and you want to deal with more engaged people, an account manager is probably a more experienced role for you, but it's something that you can aspire to, to have later down the line. So I'd say people who have customer um, facing experience, um, people who have problem solving experience, people who have business degrees are, are, are pretty good at it. There are free tech sales boot camps. So search for those. I'm not really a big advocate of these paid boot camps. That's a personal key thing, though. I just am not big on them um, if the fees are exorbitant. Exorbitant in my mind is thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but there are free opportunities available. If you'd like to do a paid one, they have those, or you can do a free one and just have leveraging that experience. They typically allow you to do that, you know, and then they'll match you with a job. Um, and if you're like a teacher or something like that, you can even do, um, instructional design within sales. So you can, create the um, stuff that the salespeople learn with, right? You can create the presentations that salespeople learn and probably be like a sales enablement also aligned to sales enablement. So I say, as long as you deal with people, (laughs) you'll be fine. (laughs) Um, And then your second question was, um, is it a, you know, what do you need to know how to do for tech sales? Or is it a fairly low barrier to entry? I say, in my experience, a lot of people are in sales have fell into it. Right. If if they're like, you know, around our age or 20s, 30s, those people have fallen into sales. Like someone told them like, yo, you need to get into sales and they've kind of jumped in. Um, and so I say a lot of sales is probably networking your way in, finding somebody who's already in that sales department and, you know, expressing your interest in sales and seeing if they can pull you in. Um, because most people, I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to go be in sales. Like, it's just not really a thing. Um, and so, um, for the most part, it's like a networking thing. And it's because it's, I think sales, candidly speaking, is a gate kept career choice because it's lucrative, it's competitive. Right. And so people don't necessarily want to, um, talk about how you can make all this money with no technical knowledge and stuff like that. Um, and I also say you have to have tough skin. That is the one thing that I say is non-negotiable if you want a quota carrying role, because it's not every day you're going to close a deal. It's not every day people are going to want to talk to you. It's not every day people are going to be nice to you. Sometimes you're going to call somebody 15 times and they'll say, yeah, 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 we'll do the meeting. We'll close a contract. And they ghost you. Right. Um, and you thought you were going to make, you know, a mission off of that. <laughs> and you don't. And so um, I'd say you really, really have to say tough, you have tough skin. But outside of that, I think the other um, the other things you can learn, like it's experiential learning, um, you can. Nice. You as you and I tried to make sure I tried to remember this before I forgot it. You said a role I've never heard of. And that was sales enablement. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Just the fact you said you could design it, you know, stuff like that. So we could, you know, Theoretically speaking, a person maybe with graphic design background or some crap like that, right? Or anybody who, a teacher, somebody's used to doing courses and lesson plans or something like that. 
could help with sales, like putting up the stuff together to help the sales team with their presentations and stuff like that. Yeah, so sales enablement is making sure that salespeople have all they do. They're enabling, right, salespeople to carry out their role effectively. So instructional design is something that is just across the company. You can do instructional design and not even be aligned to sales, right? right? Um, You're just creating the PowerPoints and presentations that will keep the employees engaged and wanting to, you know, learn more about how they can effectively, you know, operate in their role. But for sales enablement, they also do create presentations for us on objection handling, on talk tracks, on, you know, touch points and stuff like that. Then you can leverage that to say, hey, I don't necessarily have the sales experience, but I'm really good at teaching people how to do stuff well. And that's really what sales enablement does. They, they, they provide us with the tools that we need to do well at our job. It's more than, you know, the presentations. They make sure we have the proper software and stuff like that. But don't teachers do the same thing? They make sure we have the right books. They make sure that we, you know, students have the right supplies. They make these supply lists to make sure that, you know, you have the pens you need and the Clorox you need when you're in class. Um, and so it's transferable and you just have to know how to leverage your experience um, to, to get your foot in the door. Nice, nice. I appreciate you uh, breaking that down for us because that would be something else. Like when people come to me a lot of times, I just look at their stuff. I was like, Oh, you might be good at doing this. Like you ain't gotta go this route because you probably was on Twitter and you saw somebody say they make all this money doing this. Like you might be better off doing this. But uh so I really appreciate that. So uh let's have a little fun. What's like your what's like what's all the first like what's your worst interaction with a customer? Since you mentioned like tough skin, like I guess like well not even necessarily worse. We could probably use the word interesting, like most interesting uh scenario that you've been a part of like since doing sales without revealing too much one lady yeah one lady threatened me with the fbi so um in sales (laughs) you've got um two types of leads you've got your and i'm generalizing right so it's a little bit deeper it's an umbrella i'd say two type of umbrellas right you've got your co-leads those are the people who have really not expressed interest in your product. They may have not even had any um, interaction with your business ever, the business that you're working for, but you want to try to penetrate that market. So you're reaching out to them for the first time, like, hey, this is what we got. And then you got the warm leads. And those are the people who may have explicitly expressed interest or who have done business with you in the past or whatever, whatever. But there's some rapport or relationship there. They might have checked the website or attended an event or something like that. So um, at my prior company, this woman had been someone who was using our product that we were, you know, sunsetting for um, for people who don't aren't familiar with the term sunsetting. We were getting getting rid of that product to replace it with something else. And so that's supposed to be a pretty warm lead. Right. Because we have that rapport um, between us and that business. And so I reached out, you know, typically you send emails as the first touch point to kind of introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Keandra. I work for X company. Wanted to reach out to introduce you to blah, 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 blah. And of course, if that's a no-go, you, you pick up the phone and give them a call. So I gave her a call. No response. Sent a follow-up email. Called her again. No response. Finally, I got her on the phone. So I'm telling her, you know, hey, you know, not sure if you've been able to review my email. My name's Keandra. Wanted to let you know that you qualify, you know, for a free upgrade to our newer product because we're sunsetting the previous product. And you should have gotten some communications from both myself and from the company at large notifying you of this. 
And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm busy right now. Call me back in two weeks. So I said, it's seven o'clock, you know, good. Or whatever the time was. And she was like, yeah. Hung up the phone. And while I was on the phone with another customer, she called me back. I didn't pick up because I was on the phone with another customer. So I called her back and she was like, listen, bitch. I just want to let you know that I have notified the authorities and your ass is going to jail. I just got off the phone with the FBI. So whatever scam you're doing, that shit is going to be dried up after today. And I was like, well, I really do work for insert company, right? And she's like, yeah, I really do work for insert company. Bitch, I call the FBI. You're going to jail. (laughs) And I was like, all right, well, please feel free to call the company. You know, you have access to their number and go ahead and, you know, share your concerns with them and hung up the phone. And that was really weird because, you know, ain't no much a bitch calling me outside of the nine to five. But (laughs) of course I had to eat it. Um, And it was so weird her threatening me with the FBI because I'm like, if you thought it was a scam, why didn't you just call the company and say, hey, Keandra just called me saying this. Does this person work here? Is this really a thing? You know, no. But instead, she tried to make me think that in three minutes hold on, she got that. Hold on. Do I, do I need to ask <laughs> or do we already know? No. Uh-uh. So this was a person. She was that. Yeah, she man. She was that. I got to chill out because, I mean, honestly, I'm going to just be on some like Maybe she feel like, you know. And I'm going to say this is what I perceive about this particular woman. I think she judged you based off your name and want to feel like you Mm -hmm. couldn't do sales at the company you was working at and that you had to be lying, you know, Mm -hmm. not even taking a thought by saying, like, think about the the company who runs it, how it like a lot of these people that scamming, not that smart. They don't have access to know what type of software is or stuff you're using. Like, and, and and they don't just have mm-hmm. your number. They may find your email somewhere. And your email and your name. Right. Like, <laughs> and they're not going to keep on calling you back. Like, I, I, well, I mean, you got the little, I don't want to say the people names, but the little scammers that do the auto warranty and stuff like that. But that'd be kind of fun to me. I ain't going to lie when they call me. Mm-hmm. I ain't going to lie though. I would have hit her with, well, you know, I'll be waiting for them. When she says she called the FBI, I'll be waiting. Because <laughs> I'm like, what they gonna say? You know, matter of fact, I don't know. I'm too, I'm too sarcastic for that. Cause like, you know what? Hey, I'm about to call the FBI on you for making a false claim. Right. Fact. The thing was, it was all within like a ten minute span. So what got me was like, all was going on in the real world, and the FBI picks right. up your call because you feel like someone like you called, called your cousin called Stop you lying. for this camp call. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then uh, one of my coworkers, he had a customer that was calling him little bitch boy on the call. So, you know, I mean, these are extreme cases. Most times it doesn't get that nasty. Um, and also bear in mind, I was dealing with small and medium businesses at those time, at that time. So like a CTO of an enterprise company, like the CEO of Nike probably isn't going to tell you. But you know what's funny? Like but, y'all need to have a clause and y'all still say, somebody say X, Y, Z or whatever type of stuff to y'all, y'all able to slap them. Oh. Like with no repercussions, you should be able to right. see, like that that video with um the the black man. I don't know if that's at Applebee's or whatever, but slap that man for calling the N word. Oh. Five ways to Sunday. Oh, love that <laughs> like love that you you should be able to do that because <laughs> I mean, it remind me of the Twitter people that just be talking. 
Like, you know, just be saying stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when it's live and direct, oh, I was mm-hmm. just playing. My my homeboy is telling me about this weekend watching his, uh, his little cousin play ball, giving the other team buckets. Of course, his little cousin black. And then I guess the other little boy, dad's white. And he's saying, you know, hey, that little N-word can't play this and that. No, so my, my man's like, hey, who you talking to? And, you know, he want to say, oh, oh, you know him? Oh, I'm not talking about nobody. Oh, okay, really? <laughs> and this was like hours later. He was on the phone. He said, man, right. I'm still high. I said, I know, because you, you had to, you was finna make that decision. Lucky, you know, your, your woman stopped you from, you know, us seeing you on the news. Because <laughs> I'm like, people just think they can get right. away with saying that. And the crazy right. thing is we, even though they try to depict us as like these violent people, we're really like the nicest people ever. We just try to be nice to everybody. It's not until nice. you cross us. You know, until you get probably hit with a jab or something. Mm-hmm. But um, cool. Uh, that was that. I might have to listen. I don't even know how long you explain that, but that might be a whole snippet because that's 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 pretty interesting. Um, what's uh? So when we say what's the most interesting, what's what's one of the best? I guess stories you had as far as like you know you went out your way or not necessarily went out your way, but uh, a customer really appreciated the level of service that you gave them and they maybe sent the email or, or something like that. Did you ever do anything like, like, like that? Like far as I'm saying, thank you. Like she did a good job. Yeah. I've gotten those. Um, they haven't really, I'd say it been all so meaningful to me because I think I just, I always say cocky shit. Like I could sell water to a well and, I could sell a drown, drown a man water and all the other shit. So like that to me was pretty normal. But I will say the most, the best story I had is, like I said, I'm from Brooklyn and um, I was selling a product and they were redoing this market in Brooklyn, this Caribbean market that I've been going to since a kid. Um, and it has like 25, 35 Caribbean stores in there and they're redoing it to like include a bar and some other stuff. And through networking at my job, this guy was like, yo, I know somebody who's actually building that, like the construction guy or whatever. And anyway, I ended up getting in contact with his team and I was able to give them all their products for all those businesses that were in there um, in the new bar and the new restaurant that they were building out. And that was really meaningful to me because this is somewhere I've been going to since I was a kid, right? I don't even live in New York anymore. Um, and on top of not living there, um, like my picture's in there. My picture's in there from like using the vendors. So that was my best story. Just felt like a full circle, full circle moment. And I make, I have no reason or any reason at all to say I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Just whatever you say to me, I'm gonna find a way to slip in. I'm from Brooklyn, so that felt really good to to do something for my city. Man, shout out to my my guy, Conversations with King. He from Brooklyn. I don't know if you've seen him on YouTube yet. Uh, I, I you have to check his uh, channel out. But um, yeah, Brooklyn people definitely got that uh, interesting energy. But that's all I'll say with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I find everybody almost like the same. Like, I love, like, Detroit people. I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. I feel like Detroit people and us like the same. Or anybody who come from, like, somewhere that's kind of, like, grimy. Whether you was, like, in the trenches or not. Like, everybody kind of, like, a little similar. But there's some, yes. you know, differences in slang and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, that was mm-hmm. dope. Uh I had what I was going. I was going to actually ask you some questions that was even unrelated to tech. I was going to say, uh, since you are in Pennsylvania right now, have you been watching Bel Air? I love Bel Air. I love it so much that I actually want to throw myself like a Bel Air going away party before I move to the DMV. Like 
I love that we got to talk to Hillary. Banks. Hillary is definitely I love uh, that. Bay. And it took me yeah. a while to realize she was um, the girl that was in that movie with the old boy that played Everybody Hates Chris and uh, Trevor Jackson and Let It Shine on Disney Channel. Yeah, we was older when it came out. My younger brothers and them was watching it. And then I was like, he's like, like on there, he was like a rapper or something like that. And Trevor Jackson was on there. So uh yeah, if you type that in like let it shine, you're gonna see her on it. Even like, oh, that is her. I hadn't seen her since then, so I was like, that was dope. I'm loving uh Aviv. I like her complexion, mm-hmm. she's cute, she be classy and sexy. Yes, you got a dark, uh-huh. rich face. And I love hey, really my favorite character is Jeffrey. Jeffrey, he oh yeah, you're into yes. it with some bad mom. <laughs> Jeffrey Jeffrey is that dude. He be yeah, I know dripped out. He kind of looked like the old Jeffrey low key, but just hair. I think he kind of look like Jeffrey still. Yeah, I think so too. I'm excited to see the backstory between him and Uncle Phil because there has to be one, right? So I'm excited to find out how that. Um, connection I think came it's more so of a thing where Uncle Phil is highly connected now, and he has a lot of friends to where they connect them with what you need based on where you stay. Because that's why Jeffrey's like, hey, I tap in with our Philly people. So Jeffrey probably is a one person out of many people who like are house managers, you know, with four rich people or highly profiled mm. people. But that's cool. Uh, you know, coked out Carlton. Uh, he's something else. I know real Carlton is pissed right. seeing Carlton being a I know real Carlton would at least want somebody that probably not, not look like him, but probably like a little more handsome or something, you know. Or maybe I really felt like they could have I don't know. He got a little smug face. I think that's what made me like not like him. Honestly, he looks like a smart. Honestly, what I think they should have did, I think they should have flip flopped and actually made Carlton tall. I think that would have been cool. I think I think that would have been cool because he always got to get a short jokes. But think about if Carlton would have been wheels high or taller. I think that would have been pretty interesting. I don't know. It's just other different storylines I thought of. I think it would have changed the dynamic though because I think the whole thing is like. Will is this suave, charismatic, good-looking, tall man, and Carlton has like the Napoleon complex. I know, but that's what I'm saying. We're used to that. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, Carlton didn't really have Napoleon complex in the regular show. He's just a lot of jokes. But I was like, imagine if they just slightly did different to where he just went so short. Like, matter of fact, I think he's shorter than the original Carlton. I think. Is he? I'm excited to see it. Do you think he'll be likable by like season two? I think I so. Eventually, he's now. just having trouble sharing the limelight of somebody, you know, being a self and um, not having to kiss white people behind because Carlton is really not that likable. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm ready. I'm yeah. I'm ready for Thursday. Season. Oh yeah, crazy, crazy. But I, I'm ready for Thursday because we definitely could like like one of my. My ideas before I was doing this too was like to have like a channel where like we talk about this type of crap because it'd be pretty interesting. Everybody got their own takes and boom, you know, we just talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I may do that on my other channel. I just be so busy when it comes to creating content for this. It's like you know, super. It takes. I mean, I will, but it's just hard. Once I once uh, I move and actually get into an office office area for like my stuff, my setup, I can record more and do stuff when I want to not not make sure the girls and they're quiet. Like they've been so good for me right now tonight. (laughs) Shout out to the girl. Okay. So cool. We touched on Bel Air. And then my last thing is, and granted, 
it was funny. I don't even know how I came across you. No lie. I don't know something you retweeted some or something, but I typically, what I normally do is, uh, I also used to show the highlight women like a lot, but I seen some clicked on you. So I was like, somebody in sales. And then, uh, I clicked on you because honestly I don't have the Twitter app on my iPhone. Cause that's my regular phone. I have it on my mm-hmm. Android phone, which is like the phone I use for like business and stuff. So I'm not really on there. Business. Like talking about like I used to be. So I was like, the the catch, that's like, cool. I caught a cool person. I think you was doing some couple of spaces and stuff like that. I was like, okay, look at her. She finna get them, mm-hmm. them followers up because that's how spaces is. But that's, I, I got off of Twitter because I kind of got spaced out. I, was like, <laughs> you know, I felt like a lot of the draining, I felt a lot draining. of talking worse was uh, repetitive. Some people, a lot of people were like disingenuous. So I was like, I just keep on doing stuff on my own platform. Mm-hmm. I can control the narrative. Everybody does not deserve a voice. I think that's one thing people don't know. Like everybody don't deserve to talk. I mean, <laughs> that's the worst thing with social media. <laughs> everybody gets a chance to talk, but some people be loud and wrong, man. And, uh, yeah. I, uh, last night. No, go ahead. Was it last night or night before I had a space and this guy came in. We were, so I called it the dating state of the union address. So we were just talking about like dating, just regular stuff and like the imaginary six figure thing that everybody's making on Twitter. And um, this guy comes in, he was like, can I talk? Because I'm always cut off when I'm talking. So I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Talk. He starts off with, yes, I was dating this woman and I was in my twenties and she was a minor at the time, but I did not know she was a minor. I cut his mic off and kicked him out the room. Like it just—it's always a weirdo. So I definitely feel yeah. what you're saying. It could be some weird. Facts. I was like, oh, I don't even know half of y'all. Y'all just come here because I see somebody talking. Uh, I plan to do other stuff, and I might. I hadn't—I didn't get a chance to do it this month. I think the month's closing, but I—I I think I did one in December. But every month I'm going to probably do like a—I probably end up doing more live streams as the year go on and bring different people on, and then we have like these actual live talks on like my YouTube page or whatever, which way I try to do them. It's like ways I can do them. And um, even ways to where to like try to compensate some of my guests, like to where, you know, let's say if you want to do like, kind of like you're doing spaces, but if you want to do some type of thing where you want to talk about tech sales again, it's like, okay, boom, we can do, see, we get 30, 40 people. They pay five bucks, whatever. They can actually view us right now. You know, they wouldn't be able to say nothing like you doing, but they can view us and, um, you know, something like that. So it's a, a lot of different things in the work works to uh, push forth, you know, our image and, and things into the tech space because we don't represent much. I think that's a lot. La- Actually, this is one of the things I want to probably end off with and then we're like wrap up. But and granted, I don't know. You've probably been remote for a while, but um, how many Well, we'll go first. How many like women, black women? So you're the only mm-hmm. one on the team. I'm not the only one on my team now, but in my previous team, my dang, this might give a weird hour used to work, but oh well. My um the VP of sales was a black woman. A white passing black woman though, which I think impacts a lot. That's a personal opinion though. So y'all don't Big lotto. know how y'all like to tussle. <laughs> and then underneath her, all white men leading the team and just kind of white straight down. And then maybe a sprinkle of like maybe five black people on the team, but none in managerial roles, just individual contributors. 
um, and not even on like the higher teams, right? So enterprise is perceived to be one of the highest teams. So I think there's a huge lack of diversity in tech sales. Um, I think one of the reasons for that is because, like I said, it's gig kept and people invite their, um, well, I'm going to just be candidly because it seems like this is a candid podcast. It's a lot of older white rich men and they invite their white rich men friends' sons to come and work for them, right? Um, And so that's how you keep us out because it's a lot of word of mouth type of thing for sales. So I really, really am a huge advocate of getting that information out there. At my new company, there are a lot more Black people. I'm actually shocked at how many Black people there are. But I think when I looked at my company's um, list, it's like maybe 6% of the whole company is Black. So (laughs) that's still a very small number. Um, Especially how much we spend and contribute to like all these companies, you know. We buy so much as a people. Unreal. Yeah, I spent a lot of money with my company. That I can tell you for sure, for sure, for sure. (laughs) Like all y'all money. And so, um, yeah, I would love to come back again if you ever want me to. Please make sure my hair is done, though. Please make sure I remember to have my hair done. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to do a thing. Well, with my invite, I didn't want it to be like super... Like I'm trying to take, like you come into a wedding, like I'm telling you, oh, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. You know, I ain't big time, yeah. I'm just small. Because one of my goals for this one day is like, you big time. I mean, I'm I, I've been said like, you know, I didn't call myself like I'm gonna be like the Joe Budden pod of like tech podcasts because I see everybody doing them now, which is cool. I think I think I'm the mm-hmm. only one doing mine as unique as I do. I don't really go live a lot. Uh, I bring a little bit of different sauce to it. I think I'm. Every, I'm friends with a lot of people that do it, but I think I'm, uh, I don't want to say necessarily better than them, but I think I pay attention to more podcast type things than they do. Uh, so that's why I feel like I'm I'm the best. But uh, one day I plan to like do this thing like, well, eventually maybe shoot, if I'm getting sponsored enough to where I can just fly people out, like, you know, no lie, boom, this hotel, kind of like a little bit like what you see with uh, Millionaire Mindsets, but I would love to actually like do some like live stuff. Love yeah, Xavier. So that, that would be that. dope because I think I think that makes it even more better, different camera angles, all that different fun stuff that people see, like, you know, three, five years, you know, y'all will see it. This is only, what, going on year two? One, two years. I'm oh, no, 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 definitely. Five years. One, two years. I think yeah, we'll yeah, see definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, a lot of times I've been wanting to tell people, hey, like, low-key, because I've scheduled these stuff. Ours happen just to be scheduled pretty fast, but a lot of my stuff that I did, like, I have episodes that's like on backlog right now that I'm gonna drop. Like I'm getting ready to probably drop. What I'm gonna start doing is dropping them like on Buy Me a Coffee like on a Wednesday. So if people wanna support that way, they can watch them ad free. Then they can just come to YouTube on Friday or whatever and they can watch them if they want to. But um I'm gonna tell people like, hey, you know, if you need help buying lights or, or mic or whatever, let me know. <laughs> Cause that's why my last episode was audio only because they had bad lighting and they didn't like how they look. And I kind of seen it too. I was kind of like, yeah, they probably ain't going to like this. Same. Same. <laughs> I think you're, I, I think you're lighting a little bit better than her. Um, it don't matter. It's how I look. You no, know, I'll test, but it's okay. I'm not going to, no, no, no. We'll test it out. We'll, we'll test it out. You know, uh, if not, I did. I mean, I think the audio did pretty good. So, I mean, if this have to be, you know, audio only you know and it, then we have to do it again we just come back on a live stream you know who knows but i um, hang on real quick okay but don't let me stress you out now it's i'll be all right i got 
Oh no, I never stress. I, I I mean, I look at the glass half empty because I've been wanting to grow that audio audience. Like everybody come to YouTube to watch the the, the podcast, but I'm like y'all all know y'all can listen to it too. So that was a perfect way to get people to go directly to my website. Well, listen, you <laughs> me again, yeah. man. We'll see how you feel about the time of drop because this probably won't drop until like maybe like April, honestly. So because yeah, I got like. Four, like three or four episodes or however many that's already shot that's going to be dropped like next week we get to that and, and so on so well one this week so yeah I don't know who knows but um really appreciate having you on the podcast today uh, can you tell everyone where they could Thank follow you, you at on social media yes you can find me on twitter I think it's is there an underscore yikes I know it's Kisita, K-I-C-I-P-A, Dior. Um, and I do not have an underscore. So it's at Kisita, K-I-C-I-T-A, Dior, D-I-O-R. Oh. I'm always running my mouth and space. So see y'all there. <laughs> she definitely is. And um, y'all already know how y'all can check out this episode and all episodes. Go to thetextualtalk.com. Check me on YouTube at Textual Chatter. Uh, check me out on Twitter, Textual Chatter and Instagram textual consultant. Um, But like always, let's get textual.